0: hello and welcome to another sports next door podcast my name is owen today is monday march 6th this is march we're one week away from march madness but we will not talk about today as i am joined as i always am
1: by my neighbor max how's it going my friend i'm doing well it's been another week not a whole lot to report on the personal end of things and yourself though i asked that right as he's drinking a cup of water and the handoff comes here yourself
0: (laughs) i'm hanging in there hanging in there uh busy week ahead trying to rehab a bit of a ankle that's been bothering me uh but we're on the right track here and yeah uh big stuff ahead in the month of march Starting to get a little bit warmer after the craziness that was last weekend here in southern Ontario, getting a uh, thunder snow the phenomenon of thunder snow, which I feel like is pretty unique to southern Ontario, uh, and and those places that get humid winters, where the where it can fluctuate very quickly uh, between freezing and and not freezing. And so we get this big wave of snowstorm coming in, it heats up while it's happening, uh, and so forth comes the freezing rain and the thunder and lightning uh, and and the phenomenon that is thunderstorm. It was uh, frightening for sure. Glad I chose to drive Saturday
1: morning and not Friday night to Toronto, uh, but doing good, doing good, my man. Yeah, sounds like the sort of weather that's reserved solely for Canadian apocrypha and maybe some of the Scandinavian countries where there's mountains and black metal. So I've been having fun with the stupidly terrible or terribly stupid these past couple weeks. Um, But this week, I had bookmarked three different events that actually occurred in the sporting world. I imagine you can guess one of them off the top of your head, which we'll get to when we get to. Uh, But we're. For this week, we're just going to roll with the sports content as usual, and I'm going to interject at the moment and get you to weigh in. Uh, So no eight-minute, surprisingly left-leaning rants from me this week, and we can get straight to the sports content if that's all right. Yeah, let's do a little Venn diagram here.
0: Stupidly terrible and sporting world. I just have to say it's John
1: Morant this week. Yeah, we'll... Touch on that. that's
0: all i need to say
1: really yeah that's all yeah. i need to say that's more or less what i imagined yeah. all right we'll get to basketball later though because in my opinion the biggest news in the sports world this week john bones jones is back uh he defeats cyril gone in the main event of the ufc 285 to claim the heavyweight title in the ufc division unofficially earns the moniker baddest man in the world. Uh, that doesn't quite have the same weight as usual with uh, one Francis Ganu existing. Um, but nonetheless, he's back, he's at the top, and it really does not look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, Cyril Gan has been an insolvable puzzle for the heavyweight division for ever since he walked in. Uh, the karate and muay thai footwork and striking style that he executes with his size and frame and the power he has uh to punish you if you make a mistake trying to deal with that distance management has no one's been able to hit the guy like in ganu you can give the benefit of the doubt because he was on one knee but Even him, he looked like the friggin' incarnation of all terror, um, destroyer of worlds against everyone else, and on one knee, so maybe you just bracket that one out, but he couldn't touch him. No one else even got close. Uh, And Jones steamrolled him. He showed complete disrespect for the striking, walked right in. Timed him perfectly to enter, explode, and initiate a click exchange like so smoothly. You wondered how no one had done that before. And then he showed that he really has become a heavyweight. He just hauled gain to the ground. There was some technique involved, the way he was able to get to the back. Um, he, a sort of situation where like the most strength is effective against the least resistance, a lack of. Defensive awareness from Gan and being able to get up from being basically shrugged to the ground from behind and tripped, uh, and then we knew that grappling advantage would be there. We didn't think he'd get to the ground so easily, and we thought Gain would have a bit more to put up in terms of resistance, especially after how his fight against Nganu went last time, and him having a year to prepare or a year since then, and knowing Jones uh, is wrestling credentials. But he said himself he doesn't train outside of fight camp, so that limits the amount of time he prepared for this fight. And either he wasn't doing much or it wasn't enough outside of that fight to work on the holes in the ground game that Nganu exposed in their fight. Uh, He basically bum scooches to the fence and then tries to get up, putting both his hands down and leaves his neck wide open while doing so, where it's far enough off the cage that Jones is able to cinch a guillotine. It was excellent technique, black belt jujitsu level. But just at the highest level of mixed martial arts in title fights, you really don't expect the submissions to be presented that easily. And it does feel like a bit of a letdown. Uh, At the same time, though, he looked, Jones looked as Good as ever in the short bit. uh, And you wonder who in the division can withstand five minutes of that kind of grappling technique, knowing what Jones offers on the feet. And it's a pretty short list. Uh, The only guy who remotely you feel like has a chance uh, to do both the striking and the grappling and make it competitive with Jones, or at least not let Jones dictate totally how and where the fight happens, is Steve and that seems to be the fight that's going to happen, uh, International Fight Week. But it's not ideal. Like, Stipe hasn't fought in three years. The last time he did fight, he got knocked out. So he's a bit undeserving, and we haven't seen him recently. So it, like, it's not the fight it was three years ago after Stipe's uh, closing out the trilogy with Cormier, uh, where we saw the striking, the grappling much more recently. I do think in his loss against Nganu, it was a mix of just explosive athletic power and sheer size that made Nganu a really huge problem for an undersized Stipe. So Miocic has had time. He's probably going to come in bigger when he fights Jones. Uh, He will have to deal with a frame and reach disadvantage that most of Jones' opponents have had to deal with. But He'll have more power to make up for that. And he's the best to ever do it at heavyweight. So you think if anyone could solve the puzzle, it would be him. You just don't really know what condition and state he's going to be in going into the fight. And north of 40, um, it feels like the odds go down. It is heavyweight. And that's the division where longevity is the longest. This isn't going to be a fight that's decided by speed. uh, That. Part of Jones's game, but not the same way like it is for an Nganu. So, it's an interesting fight for sure. Just, it it was terrifying. And after Stepe, it, it, like no one can do both. Curtis Blades can wrestle. Some other guys in the division can strike, but it, it's hard to feel like they're going to be able to choose where the fight happens. We don't even know if Stepe will be like he was able to deal with. DC is grappling. uh, But he had the size advantage on DC and how that might look uh, when Jones tries to implement it, we really don't know. He'll certainly be the favorite. And uh, it's just a question of surviving all of God's tests for Jones and seeing how many times he can walk into the octagon. Uh, But he has a chance here in the heavyweight division to really stamp the end of a crazy, crazy career. And uh, other than that, there's no obvious easy challenge for him. It's hard to know what exactly the future holds. I'm not gonna talk about every other fight on the card. Um, Do you miss it when I used to do that? And these podcasts went almost two hours and like there was a good 50 minutes of MMA content on there. I mean, they reminded me of good times for sure. Well, I don't. That was fucking exhausting to do. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I'm going to put most of the recap in the Substack that this podcast has launched recently. So there will be more thoughts on the Jones fight, the co-main event, other events. I'm just going to touch on a couple quick notes. Um, first, shout out to the corner of Derek Brunson. It really did not look like he was likely to retire after the first round of his fight against Driscus Duplice, but a complete reversal of fortunes. Uh, Won't get too much into the technical stuff, but just to say Duplice had him battered, hurt, and uh, the ground and pound with one second left in the second round that was completely unguarded was more than a cherry on top. And the corner... Had no qualms about just tossing the towel, stopping the fight. So many times we've seen fighters barely hang on, getting smashed to survive a round, and watch them incoherently sit on the stool as the corner tries to tell them, You've got this, you've got this, come on, you're gonna go get him, and just send them out to get taken unnecessary beating. It's one of the hardest things to watch being a fan of the sport personally. And the damage Brunson took was so severe, and the way um he carried himself or didn't carry himself after that towel was thrown and needed to be helped up onto a stool. Uh it's not certain that he would have made it to a third round and the referees and medical staff would have let that happen. Uh but just love to see the preemptive action from the corner. More of that, please. Uh have you heard of Sleep Token Owen? Can't say that I have. One of the weirdest, most Bizarre kind of cool things going on in the alternative metal musical scene at the moment. Uh, The band basically worships a unknown god who supposedly sleeps behind under Stonehenge and who communicates with the singer uh, Vessel in his dreams. That's right, the singer just goes by vessel. We have no idea the names of anyone in this band, and they supposedly communicate uh, the messages of Sleep, the deity, di- di- through their songs uh, or at concerts and worship with the crowd. Uh, they have blown up over the last years, and Jeff Neil walked out to them. Nonetheless, uh, Sleep's... Uh, Grace did not descend upon Jeff Neal. Uh, He ran into Rachmaninoff and got absolutely bulldozed. This guy looks like the top of the division. I mean, Jeff Neal looked almost as good as it gets, like an elite fighter at welterweight. He has no holes in his game. He has power. He has accuracy. He has a chin. He showed all of that off, and none of it mattered. Uh, Just an absolute bulldozer, steamrolling of a performance, uh, com- near total domination with just enough from Neil to show you that Rachmanov has a chin and the ability to not survive adversity, but uh, he, like Max Holloway-esque, and his ability to take punches and then give out even more. Uh, I'm so excited to see this guy fight. I think he's. I'm sold on him as one of the best in the division. All right, we get to the last fight I want to touch on, and um, I'll tell you what happened. So Bo Nickel, a 3-0 fighter heading into this fight, um, wrestling prospect who's been fast-tracked into MMA, uh, shown fantastic ability to wrestle. It's a question of how does he translate it into the rest of the mixed martial arts game. And in the first minute or so of his fight against Pickett, it looked not that easy, Uh, We're just at a point where in the most stacked divisions, uh, any fighter knows the basics of any discipline. And uh, those specialists really have to excel or do other things well to overwhelm fighters in their own game. Um, And Nickel wasn't able to do that in the first minute. Pickett was able to use some distance management uh, to counter the weight to keep his hips spread, do all the things you do to prevent a takedown. And that's when he got kneed in the nuts. It's pretty freaking obvious, excuse my language, it's pretty fucking obvious when someone gets kneed in the nuts. The immediate hand over the groin, the pain on the face, the hunching, there's really no other physical reaction like it. The ref missed it the three commentators ringside either missed it or didn't mention it. And in the meanwhile, Nickel hauled Pickett to the ground, showed off his fantastic grappling skills, and was able to secure a submission uh, finish. So tell me, is it terribly stupid or stupidly terrible that when they played a replay of the fight, they didn't show the nut shot, that there is a truck of professionals in the ears of the commentators who watched this, had the ability to watch it back and did not tell the commentators or ask them to bring up this illegal groin strike. And um, the, the win was sold off as a complete validation of a hype train, which does not exist up until now.
0: Uh, I, oh man, this is a tough one. This might be the toughest one I've had so far. Just had to bring I, into the sporting realm, eh? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I see the business perspective of not wanting to, it's kind of a broadcasting rule that you never go against the product that you're broadcasting. And so they usually give a, a positive color, but at the same time, it is a pretty egregious miss so i think this one ends up in the stupidly terrible category not it wasn't they weren't being stupid they were purposely dodging it so i would have to go with just that it's terrible and it sucks for the guy who gets choked out and it sucks for the hardcore fans who are going to care immensely whereas most
1: of the casuals like me are just going to say ha he got hit in the nuts Yeah, uh, the manager of Pickett said he's going to attempt to overturn it, something which historically never works. I think this might be one of the most clear-cut arguments I've seen, so I'll be interested to see. Uh, You can connect an illegal move to a fight-ending sequence, so we'll see, but there was some space in between the knee, the takedown, and then the submission, so maybe not. Uh, But yeah, ultimately I think the like I can't imagine it doesn't get mentioned in Nickel's next fight uh it's really it would that would be stupid uh, but ultimately they hurt their own product if they oversell a prospect who's unable to get the fight to the ground uh without that kind of maneuver because from what I saw of Pickett or excuse me Nickel the striking isn't there and the grappling isn't good enough um to even sniff the top 15 right now. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, just really disgraceful and gross, in my opinion, on the UFC's part. And um, yeah, it's treated like an entertainment product, not a sports business. All right. um, You've got a little football while I refresh, and then we get into the other big news this past week.
0: Yeah, really briefly, a couple of big signings came through today. Gino Smith re-upping for three years with the Seattle Seahawks, the team that he finally got an opportunity to show out, had a fantastic season, pro bowler. Uh, So congrats to Gino finally getting the shine that he's worked so hard to achieve over the last 10 years of his career and finally getting an opportunity to get some run with a team that is looking to build some pretty impressive rookie talent and I think Gino's going to play those three years. They're going to build quite the program. Uh, I think he's going to outlive his welcome a little bit by the time that they're ready to compete. And you could see Seattle in a position where they almost recreate the Legion of Boom plus Russell Wilson on a on a rookie contract, bringing that younger quarterback to fit with all of the pieces they'll have in their primes. Other big news: Derek Carr out of Las Vegas. We already knew that, but the New Orleans Saints go and pick up their new quarterback of the present. Um, I'd say he has a similar style to Drew Brees and how they play as pocket passers. Um, not, it's quite different between the gunslinger of of Jameis Winston and then, of course, the more mobile quarterback of of a. Uh, Taysom Hill, but it is a definite upgrade over Andy Dalton, who they were going with for the majority of the season. And so, looking forward to see what the Saints can cook up there. Uh, but I don't think it'll be the same without Sean Payton, who resides with my Devon
1: Broncos. All right. We get to the NHL trade deadline, which was one of the craziest weeks in the sports history. Uh, And so crazy that it was a pretty lackluster final deadline day with pretty much all of the moves having been made before, which mostly makes sense. Like if you have a trade, you want to make why wait four or five days to do it? Uh, all the cards present on the table and, uh, some of the, the big pressure moves, I would say would be Jacob Chichurin, uh, Where it was a question of holding out versus some low ball offers. And ultimately, the Senators are able to land the defenseman for below the Coyotes asking price the last Mm -hmm. year and a half. Um, They give up a first rounder and two second rounders to get him. They have him through 2024, 2025 at a really nice cap hit. Uh, So I'll be returning constantly to that wild card race in the East as it's really the most undecided, uh, highly tense thing. And the senators definitely go in as buyers, uh, looking mm-hmm. to make a dent, um, uh, which if nothing else is really smart in terms of taking advantage of Claude Giroux's window after, uh, he showed hometown loyalty signing with the team.
0: Yeah, the, it's, it's a great get by Ottawa. Um, they have a surplus of picks now from tearing it down the last few years. They can afford to give them up. And, and Jacob is gonna be better than any kind of unless you really hit on a pick, it's far more likely that he's going to be the best out of all of those assets. And you have him retained on a good cap hit for the next two years beyond this. He slides in well on the right side of your defense to play with Thomas Shabbat. Like it just a lot of things to like about the steal. It keeps Ottawa competitive right now uh, as they're looking to build towards the future and and have been on a roll as of late. And if you're the Coyotes, rather than losing Jickran for nothing or eventually losing all of your leverage because teams just don't want to pay that price, you still get quite a few picks from it, um, and and you get some other picks by just taking on salary. so you hit the cap floor and you hope you get Bedard and and it starts from there with with the surplus of picks. Moving forward for a couple of years, so I think it's a good trade for both sides. Um, Don't love it though, as a Leafs fan.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, slay that beast when it really starts to rear its head in the next couple Mm -hmm. of years. Uh, It seems inevitable at this point. Who else do you like from this deadline? Yeah, some of the winners here will go through.
0: Uh, Well, I think the Leafs are winners. I guess Mm -hmm. we can go right there. Um, They missed out on a flurry of moves. Yeah, we missed out on flurry moves after the McCabe uh, and the O'Reilly deals. O'Reilly going on long-term injured reserve today with a broken finger, uh, which is tough, which is tough. Uh, Luckily, the Leafs did have two great centers before they had O'Reilly and have done well so far this season, but you do miss out on quite a few games of chemistry to work in there, uh, which is a bummer. Beyond those moves... Near trade deadline day, they get Eric Gustafson um, trading out Sandine and a first rounder. I think we already mentioned that this was. I I think they get the first rounder. Yeah, they. Yeah, sorry. They get the first rounder along with Gustafson. I think we mentioned nice piece of business. Sandine wants out, make a player and an agent happy for down the road. And and a guy who, in the end, um, probably would have lost the spot in the lineup just with. What the Leafs have now and what they need for the playoffs, get McCabe. You go and get Luke Shen. Uh, you have Gustafson, who could be a, a second power play runner, uh, just like a, what Sandin's doing right now. And and it just he no longer fit in with the timeline and the style of play that they needed. Uh, and so getting a first rounder, albeit it's Boston's first rounder in this year's draft, just helps replenish the cabinet at smidge um and and lord knows kyle dubas loves his late first round picks
1: (laughs) yeah and and second round picks (laughs) anytime you give up a homegrown talent with top starting elite potential it hurts unless it's an absolute robbery of a trade deal in terms of what you get back so this stings uh on first glance but when you look at the facts and consider there was almost no chance we were re-signing sandin past this year and as you said it's not even a hundred percent how much of an impact he would have been able to get this playoffs uh the defensive lapses and mistakes are still there and did not earn him many favors with sheldon keith it becomes more stomachable i do kind of like that we get the bruins first rounder just as like a little more motivation to outdo them uh If we can outlast them this playoffs, uh, that you think about it in more macro terms, uh, where we send out our first rounder, uh, this trade deadline and get back a better first rounder if you can outlast the Bruins. So I like that there. Yeah, um, more small moves by the Leafs, just as the East arm race continued, uh, it it seemed pretty much matter of fact that Patrick Kane was going to the Rangers. We touched on it last podcast. Uh, I'm still shocked at how much of a steal they were able to get him for if they don't make it to the conference final. I I guess if they don't make it to the conference finals, it wasn't that great of a team after all, as it seems like it's hard to argue it's not in winner bust territory even though there is plenty of longe- longevity on this newly rebuilt powerhouse um but yeah that is going to be oh, i'm just so excited for the playoffs with with all these matchups especially New Jersey versus the Rangers like oh my god yeah yeah playoffs
0: look really really fun um the biggest concern that the crowd has had with the Rangers team is is there enough to go around for all of these star players and how will that affect chemistry of this team? And we got to see it play out on Sunday in an afternoon game. It was great timing against the Boston Bruins Uh, and, and Boston really showed them who still ran the the conference. Uh, They get a fantastic deal done of their own after the Orlov Hathaway get, they go and get Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, from the Red Wings, which is just another perfect Boston addition, he gets an assist in in that game, and and the Bruins wiped the floor with the Rangers. Kane um, a minus four in his first two games in in the New York Blue. So interesting thing to to keep an eye on as as those pieces acclimatize. Just feels like Boston brings a guy in and they're instantly the best version of themselves. It's so frustrating, but they're another winner at this deadline
1: for sure. Yeah. uh, The Red Wings, along with the Capitals, seemingly looking at the competition this year in the East and decided to bow out as sellers, more looking to retool than rebuild, especially in the Capitals case. The Red Wings uh, sending Rankin to the Vancouver Canucks, uh, which brings me to our next stupidly terrible or terribly stupid-o. What are the Vancouver Canucks doing? Uh, they seem to be unanimously across the board one of the biggest losers of this trade deadline. They they clearly don't have enough to win, and, and yet when they go out and get some assets for Bo Horvat, uh, they try and flip it and basically put themselves in pretty similar position to where they were prior to that Horvat deal, uh, which is not even good enough to make the playoffs in a Western conference that I think is only getting better in the next few years. And uh, unless the Canucks can really hit a home run on a prospect or some draft, I, I don't see where the future of this franchise leads. And that seems to be the common wisdom across the board. I don't know if you see it any differently. Yeah, well, you just look at this trade in a vacuum, and it's fine. Philip Pronick, uh,
0: who, they, who they get. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, who can fit in well next to Quinn Hughes, right? It's, it's a nice player to get. But the message there from management in Vancouver is that they're in the midst of a retool. You can't retool a team if it has only made the second round once and not really done much outside of that. And the second round was in the bubble. Um, Elias Petterson, fantastic, Besser, fantastic, Quinn Hughes, fantastic, Thatcher, Demko, like they've got the, some pieces there, but they haven't achieved anything. So why are you rewarding this group by quote unquote retooling, going out and getting a guy? Um, they're just not learning from their past mistakes. They have to choose a direction here. And so I guess they have, uh, in many people's eyes, they believe it's the wrong direction. Just as long as they don't take on more
1: useless salary, uh, yeah. I think they can try and figure this out. That's the context that really leaves you scratching your head they 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 have none. They have no cap to work with. and I, I don't know the West is a crab shoot. I, I really don't know what happens, um, but I don't think the Canucks make the playoffs this year, and I think the West gets better next year without like some crazy mid-roster depth and talent filling in. Uh, It's hard to see the Canucks going anywhere. Uh, We're starting to get close to time here. I don't know what else caught your eye, this trade deadline.
0: Uh, The Pittsburgh Penguins waited very, very late to get their business done. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov they get for Brock McGinn, uh, which is a good salary dump for them. Nick Bonino Mikhail Granlund add to their bottom six. Uh, They have to be all in until Crosby, Malkin, and Letang are done. The Minnesota Wild went a little bit in the mode of Vancouver, kind of switched up on what most people thought they should be doing. A team that was already cap-strapped, takes on salary in the in the Achari-O'Reilly deal and then the Orlov-Hathaway deal. But then they go out and continue to spend in a Western Conference. Like you said, it's only getting
1: better, but right now it's worth taking, for okay. sure.
0: And, and so we- with
1: at least the Wild are sitting second in the Central Division right now. They Mm. would have to have a pretty spectacular collapse to not make the playoffs. Right now, they'd be facing the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, which isn't a great prospect, but the Avs have not looked like the team they were last year. Mm. Uh, Just to circle back, the Canucks sitting at 55 points uh, with 74 being the Jets marker, for the last wild card spot, uh, I think like must either. be mathematically eliminated or quite close to it. Um, I just wanted to double check how close they were to the playoffs before commenting. But yeah, even more ludicrous. Uh, sorry, but yeah, the wild. It, yeah,
0: with a couple more, maybe one, two more years of flurry left. Kirill Kaprizov. Um, everyone thought they were going to try and retool in a sense in the years where they've had to take the big dead cap hits on contracts but instead they go and they get klingberg it's expiring deal but but a nice piece to get i was surprised that it took very long for teams to go and get him uh they get oscar sunquist uh gus nyquist and and uh marcus Johansson. so a good couple of swedish players there to add to the fold and Bolsters a lineup that I think could be frisky in the playoffs, and and all you need is a couple things to go your way. You have Mark Andre Fleury, who is a proven playoff performer and winner, um and and why not? Like Western Conference for the taking, and then you get to the finals, and who knows what happens from there. So I I actually like the direction. It's it's funny, Vancouver Minnesota are kind of in similar spots, and I'm on opposite sides of the spectrum on how I feel about their moves. It just feels like. Minnesota can get out of the salary situation a lot easier than Vancouver can.
1: Winning solves everything. And if the Wild can do a bit of that in the first round against the Avalanche, why not all the way to the finals? Though I'm less optimistic about what happens there, whoever they face. I guess the last
0: stupidly terrible or terribly stupid thing we got to talk about is the Jonathan Quick trade. Sure. The LA Kings send Quick. Who won two Stanley Cups is like one of the all time franchise leaders in all the goaltending statistics. Uh, someone who's been forever ingrained in the Los Angeles culture of winning, right? You think of all the great teams that exist in LA. Um, and he's right up there with the greats, and they just ship him out the door to Columbus without really giving him the heads up for not much in return, I'd say. Um, and he was upset and he didn't even want to go to Columbus. Like he was not going to show up. Um, Fans understandably pissed off with ownership. And it just was not a good look for the Kings who I get. They're like trying to turn it around as well. They're building towards a future. They finally had to move on from him, but there's a, there's gotta be a better way. Even the Blackhawks, Kane had the no move. So he picked where he wanted to go, but they made that deal work. They didn't just say no. And so Quick, not getting the de- the goodbye he deserves, gets quickly turned around and flip back to Vegas, where he'll get to see L.A. plenty of times, I think, the rest of the season um, and potentially next year, which is quite intriguing. But uh, Vegas finally getting a name because they hadn't done much so far this year after always being the team that was in on everyone. So interesting to see what if Quick can go on a bit of a revenge tour here to finish off the the stretch run of the season as Vegas looks
1: to continue their winning ways. Yeah, it's stupidly terrible for me. <laughs> it it is terrible to have a franchise hallmark like that um, departed in such fashion, and it's stupid that we done. But um, there is motivated reasoning behind it. And as we just alluded to, winning solves everything. We'll see what the Kings look like uh, this round in the playoffs. Very, very brief tennis note. So Daniel Medvedev's won three tournaments in a week. Uh, none more impressive than this last one in Dubai. Takes out Novak Djokovic, who was on a 20-match winning streak uh, in the semifinals, and then handles Andrei Rublev, who he had a two-match losing run well he was losing against basically everyone uh in the top 15 top 20 uh so yeah fantastic stuff from him has me I, man i think he's playing at indian wells that kicks off wednesday it seems like Djokovic will, yeah <laughs> seems like Djokovic won't be competing unfortunately though the US will lift that restriction in time for the US Open, at least. And uh, also, shout out to Alex Dimenauer. Dimanour, I seriously don't know how you're supposed to say that. Um, but he wins in Acapulco, Mexico uh, against uh, Tommy Paul. Uh, all around, nice job from him. Although, I got to say, Tommy Paul and Taylor Fritz put me to sleep with their bizarre semi final matchup. Um, I'm not sure how much Paul had left in the gas tank for that one. All right, you've got about three minutes for basketball here. Well, I just
0: say keep an eye on here for this KD-Booker duo. Uh, They showed out in the Mavericks game on Sunday, both scoring 35-plus. Going to be a very tough duo to stop. And then the Toronto Raptors just trying to stay alive here, get a must-win game in overtime against Washington. OG with a stellar performance on Beal, but they're going to be in tough here with Denver tonight both LA teams and then Denver again later this week, uh, tough, tough stretch. I think they have the toughest strength of schedule remaining. So we'll likely see the Raptors in a playing game, something we haven't yet seen in this franchise's history. So looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I liked the bounce back from Van Fleet and Siakam on that game. Uh, felt like some that shouldn't have gone to overtime, but, uh, Alas, the Raptors are going to cause laughter around the league. Huh. I th- That's about it then. Groovy. All right. Um, and the the audio sounding good. We're we're hitting a new swing just in time. The playoffs are around the corner. Um. I'll touch next time on the ridiculous schedule of UFC pay-per-views, but plenty of MMA content coming up. And uh, the tennis, we're in to the Masters US 1000 series, the playoff race. March ends. Yep. The playoff race for both the NBA and the NHL reaching a zenith. These are the regular season games that matter most being played right now. It's a wonderful time in the sporting world, and that is what's awesome this week. So thank you everyone for listening, looking forward to catching up on all of this stuff next time. Until then, Sports Next Door, signing out.